So this evening, I would like to look at grasping and creative engagement. And personally, when I look at meditation, often when we sit in meditation, sometimes we wait for something special to happen. So we sit there waiting for something special to happen. And a lot of the time, nothing special happened. <laughs> and so, of course, we can have, we can experience meditative state, meditative experiences. We can talk about this later if you're interested. But to me, I think this is kind of just kind of like a, a nice side effect of the meditation. But I would not say it's a main point of the meditation. And personally, I feel that to come back again and again to anchor, to look deeply into change as a releasing effect. And so personally, what I find interesting is not so much what happens when you sit in meditation. It depends on different conditions. But generally, even if you had lots of thought or whatever, if we notice at the end of a 30-minute sitting meditation or walking meditation, it's like there is this effect, what I call the effect. Like there is little releasing. And that I found very interesting, which is not very obvious, but to me, I think this is that effect is what is going to really make a difference in our daily life. So in a way, there is less grasping, and there is more what I call creative engagement. So what I like to do this evening is looking at the process of grasping, and in a way, what we're trying to cultivate, which is creative engagement. And what is interesting there so tonight, I will want really to look at the grasping, creative engagement in terms of contact, contact through the senses. And then tomorrow morning in the instruction, we'll look at another aspect to it. But I think it's at that point of contact, through the senses, what we see, what we hear, what we taste, what we smell, what we feel in the body, what we think, that when there is a contact, then there is an opportunity to grasp, and often there is a certain automaticity in grasping. And at the same time, what we're developing here is an opportunity to see the contact and creatively engage with it. So let's look first what happens when we grasp. So Generally, I, I kind of have a little, I have a little party trick. So some of you have seen it, but many of you have not seen it. So here it goes. So let's say this is precious. So this is precious, and it belongs to me. And because it's precious and it belongs to me, then I hold on to it in this way. If I hold on to it for any length of time, two things are going to happen. 
the first thing, I'm going to get a cramp in the arm. And often this is a little sign of grasping. Tension often can be a signal, oh, there could be some grasping here. But the second effect, which is more problematic, is the fact that if I grasp in that way, I cannot use my hand for anything else. So I am stuck to what I'm grasping at. And so personally, I think the meditation helps us to open the hand. So then we can use object, move the object, but there is more freedom. Then there is not this tension. And then there is this kind of possibility. So the way I look at the process of grasping is that with grasping come identification. I, me, mine. The two are very together. And then we solidify around what we grasp at. Then we limit ourselves to it. And then, that's most problematic, we amplify it. We magnify it because we limit ourselves to it. Then we reduce ourselves to it. And it has that effect of amplifying. And that's why I think it's kind of important to look at grasping and the difference of it, which is creative engagement. So let, it, let me give you an example. I mean, we can grasp. I think it's very important to see that we can grasp in, you could say, a positive way. I want this. I like this. Or you can grasp in a negative way. I hate this. I push it away. And in both places, there will be the same limiting, magnifying effect. So let me take something, something. Okay, let's go for the little pot. No, we can leave it there. I think most people see it. It's a small one, but still it's a cute one. So there you have a nice little, tiny little, but very cute flower arrangement. So you come into the room, you might come closer to it. It smells very nice too. And oh, so it's visual contact. Oh, I like this. Mm. I like these flowers. I would like to have them in my garden. Where could I find them? Where could I plant them? Is it in season? Notice what happened. I go from the flowers there, appreciating the beauty, the smell. And then when I grasp and identify, then I go somewhere else. I proliferate. I go in abstraction. So I'm not with the flower anymore. I am with, in a way, an abstract notion of them. I'm not saying you should not get the flower and plant them, but just to show you what happened. But you can do it also, what I would call the negative loop. Oh, very nice little flower arrangement. Oh, I am a terrible flower arranger. <laughs> I could not even do this, put this together. I could not even do this. I am a hopeless person. 
I really cannot do anything anyway. <laughs> so just visual contact, and if you grasp at it negatively, you can end up in a painful place. And so in a way, creative engagement is just, oh, can I appreciate this? Can I learn from this? So to me, when we grasp, you have these two effects. One effect from the amplification is what I call, in a way, proliferation. And I think this is interesting to notice how we go from the thing itself, the encounter in the experience with the thing itself, and then we go into this proliferation. And then we go into abstraction. And to me, this then become problematic because in abstraction, your creative potential cannot do very much. But in the experience, yeah. And I think that's often our difficulty with grasping, is that we don't, in a way, creatively engage with the experience, but we go into the proliferation around it, one way or another. But another aspect is exaggeration. As I mentioned before, something happened. It's always like this. It will never change. And that's very difficult to deal with, always. What can you do with always? What can you have creative potential do with always? Nothing. It's kind of in a way stop before you start. I used to have this uh, at the beginning when I learned driving, and I was a little kind of, you know, I learned driving late, my 30s, and I was a little kind of nervous around it, although I passed my driving test in Newton Abbott, nearby. And I would, in those days you could, nowadays you cannot do it less, time to time I would lock the key in the car. So once I phoned my husband, can you come with the da, 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 find a way to get there with a separate car keys? Second time, okay. Third time, you always lock the keys in the car. And I had a vision. I had like this vision of day in, day out, I would do this. <laughs> And I was not sure my marriage could cope with that. <laughs> then I thought, wait a minute. And so I moved from this grasping on both our side to creative engagement. And I thought, wait a minute. It does not happen every day, nor every week. It happens time to time. So when does it happen? And then I look back. And I realized each time it happened is when I had to park in a tight place. And I would, at the end of it, I would be so like this. <laughs> After that, whenever I had to park in a tight place, I went for the keys. <laughs> and actually, it never happened again. And then my husband started to do it. But that's another <laughs> story. 
So, in a way, to see that when we grasp and identify, very, there is this kind of two effect. And so they can be signaled. So I think this talking about grasping is not saying meditation. If you do meditation long enough, you will never grasp again. Because this is, I think, evolution, survival mechanism. We need to grasp to a certain degree for this human, for this organism to survive. But the question is, do I need to grasp 95% or do I need to grasp 50%? I think what we can play is we kind of, in a way, decreasing the level. And then also understanding what are the circumstances which lead to more grasping and less grasping. And then I wanted to say something now, kind of, kind of looking at you know, a contact in experience, so that you have, a, you have a, still a full day of uh, meditation tomorrow, and then Sunday morning, uh, you have also a bit more of meditation, and then at breakfast Sunday morning, you'll be able to speak, so that will be interesting too. And so contact, we are contact through the senses, with what we see, with what we hear, with what we smell, with what we taste, with the sensation in the body, and with thought. This actually is a very important um, insight of the Buddha, to see that there is also contact with thought. One moment, I'm not thinking about something. Next moment, the thought appears in the mind, or the image appears in the mind or the memory appear in the mind. And do I grasp at it? Or do I creatively engage with it? And we thought it's very difficult to see the point of contact, as we were talking about, because we so quickly identify with it. It's kind of this thought. It's about me. It's about this story, which is about me. And it's very hard not to stick to it and proliferate with it. But I think it can really be interesting to see how you feel certain, suddenly your mood change or something happened and you, oh, this is what the story was about. This is what I got grasping at, proliferating with. Once I had this uh, interesting experience many years ago when I moved to France where bureaucracy is quite uh, at a very elevated point. It's, they have developed, uh, thanks to Napoleon and what they did after, they're really good at it. It's kind of like bureaucracy is fantastic there. Great opportunity to practice. And so I was, you know, trying to get my medical cover. It took me a whole year to get all the papers. And, and then I get to the office, and I think I have all the papers. And so I said, here are all the papers. And she said, ah, madam, you need two more. <laughs> and I thought, all right. So I kind of come back in two weeks. I come out. 
And suddenly I found myself standing, stuck in, paralyzed in the, on the pavement. People have to walk around me. I'm the... And then I look, I say, what's going on here? And suddenly I could see that when I came out, the thought, I came in contact with the thought, this is hopeless, I am hopeless, and I was just frozen in that I am hopeless forever after. This is hopeless forever after. And then I thought, wait a minute, cre I moved from grasping to creative engagement, and I said, wait a minute, you know how to read, you know how to write, you can fill more forms. And I must say, this was quite a breakthrough with uh, bureaucracy in France. That's been very useful since. And then I went on my way. So just seeing that, the contact with a thought. Or, this is very interesting, contact with a sound. You hear a sound, how long does it last? It comes and it goes. And there is something which is a sound, it's a word. So throughout our life, we encounter words. One moment, they're not there. Next moment, a word appears between us and somebody else. This word is uttered. And what is a word? A word, however long it is, and uh, I can't remember the longest word you have in English, but however long it is, I would doubt that it would last longer than a minute at the most, very likely a few seconds. But you have a word, somebody says a word to you, which might last five seconds, let's say, at the most, and then it's gone. I mean, talk of emptiness. Often in uh, Buddhism, it's talk about emptiness. To me, I find words very empty, because they come, and generally, they go. I mean, they're not staying there in blue light, you know, ta, floating about. And then you have all this word floating about. So you might have that, that, this impression with you. As we sit in meditation, do we have each a little cloud? And there is all these words kind of sh shining a little, blinking a little, saying, you know, stupid, fantastic, or whatever it is that's blinking. And they're gone. But we hear a word which is relatively intangible, and we grasp at it. And so you sit in meditation, you're relatively okay, and then you think, but he said that. I mean, once I was talking to a friend, and she seemed a little down and uh, troubled, so I said, what's the matter? Oh, she said, my husband, you know, he says things nasty to me. Oh, I said, wait a minute. And then I talked a little more. I said, but, I mean, is he saying them every day? No, 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 no. Once a week? No, 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 no. Time to time. I said, okay. And then she said, you know what? He says something to me about the washing washing the clothes. And now, whenever I go in the washing room, I feel so upset. So I said, but when did he say those words? 
She said, a year ago. <laughs> and I said, well, possibly you could creatively engage. <laughs> but to me, what was interesting is the pain of grasping at the word and keeping them. And that's why I think it's kind of, with creative engagement, there is a two thing. Do, can I say something? That's a transformation in the moment. And often in the moment, we can't think of something to say. We hear a word and ah, it's kind of like, it's painful often. And that's what is interesting. People, when somebody said something nice to you, oh, that was great, you are great. You said, no, 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 this, you know, it's okay, but you know, I'm not that great. I mean, why don't you grasp at them as much? <laughs> you know? And instead we, oh, the bad one. That's what we, we kind of like, we have a little bias toward that. And so personally, I think with words, when the world comes towards us, the question I would ask in terms of creative engagement, is it about me or is it about them? Because if it's about me, then is there a way I can consider that? In my early days as a teacher, I loved it. And the teacher, in my early days, I would have people come to me and say, oh, you know, once I had this lady say to me, you know, you use the word argue. I don't think a Buddhist should argue anything. I don't think it's good for you to use that word. I thought, okay, I'm French. This is English. Now I will suggest. So now I suggest. <laughs> Why not? I don't necessarily need to use that word. Or somebody would say, but I know the word. So, okay, I'll use another word. So in a way, of course, people have a little kind of, some words have resonance for them. And personally, I am happy to creatively engage with that. But it's for you to see I hear something, is it about me? Or is it about the person? And if it's about the person, I don't need to grasp. I don't need to identify. So it's kind of when we hear words, to me that's a great practice in daily life. When we discuss things, when can we creatively engage with the word we hear? Or you have sight, a sight, visual object that you can play a little bit tomorrow with looking at different things. And it's interesting, visual object, because you see something and you think, ooh, and it's kind of like there is a glow around it. You see some, ooh, I want this. I mean, I love this, um, I was walking in a, huge town, and there was this huge ad for the latest iPhone 256, you know, and it kind of was glowing, and like, oh. it was kind of like, you know, telling me, you want me. You see, what is interesting with advertisement is they totally understand grasping. They <laughs> totally understand it. I mean, they are really the master, the mistress, of understanding grasping and how to help us 
very nicely to amplify. You know, I love it when I go with uh, uh, my mother is uh, getting old, and so I help her with different things. Like today, I was talking. I am managing my mother through my husband at home. It's kind of interesting. Every day I phone and I try to sort things out. So going to the sh the supermarket is one thing. And so, I, you know, I was trying to find some food which you, in the freezer she could use, not problematic. And then you had, you know, in the vegetarian veggie section, you had this very nice, on the packet, really nice looking little kind of, you know, little thing, kind of like a kind of uh, eggy thing with little possibly uh, some courgette, little bake, individual. I mean, on the packet, they look fantastic. You know, I thought, hmm, that looks good. And then we took it home, and then I opened the packet. I mean, the difference, <laughs> the difference was like, I was, wow, superior. This is superior, you know? Nothing like it, nothing like it. But they really kind of enhance very nicely the contact. So it's kind of, what we see something, what do we do with it? When we see something, oh, I want this. Or when we see something, oh, I don't want this. What is it we add to it with the grasping? How can we creatively engage in the visual field? That, I think, is a very interesting field to work in, especially if you live in a, in a town with lots of shop, shops. I think it's very interesting to see visual contact. You know, you pass in front of a shop. Never mind. Very creatively engaged. Yeah, yeah, no problem. And then this one. Oh! <laughs> you know? I used to have something with a shoe shop in winter for warm shoes when I have cold feet. So I would kind of, kind of look and think, mm, that one, that shoes is going to resolve my problem. And generally not, unfortunately. Also, you have food. I mean, this is a thing you can do here. Uh, you have contact with food, uh, contact with taste. And it's very interesting. Uh, you, you taste something. Hmm. You taste something, and if it's good, generally, before you even finish to chew on it, you want more. It's very interesting to look at that or to look at our reaction if it's not so good. Recently, I had this funny experience of being given something, no idea what it was, but I, had, I felt I had to eat it. And then it was not bad, but there was something within it which was fantastically bitter. So I would eat the thing and it would be kind of okay. And then so the <gasps> but it was very short, so it was a tiny thing. I don't know what it was, so it's okay. Come back, okay, that it's a fascinating experience, kind of how to be with the neutral one and the one who was a little problematic. So just noticing what's the contact when I eat something? Or what's the contact? Do I grasp? Do I creatively engage? I know we are we are sorry if you have any discomfort. <laughs> But unfortunately, especially if you sit on the floor, you cannot really avoid discomfort. But it can be very interesting to look at how do I 
how am I with sensations? Do I grasp at the sensation? And then there is this amplification effect? Or do I creatively engage with the sensation? And then I can generally do something with it. I had some interesting experience recently. So <coughs> I don't know what happened, but suddenly I found myself, my whole body was painful. And it was so bad, I had the impression the pain was outside of me. So not only I was in pain, my whole body was in pain, but it was nearly like radiating everywhere. So I kind of nearly like thinking, ooh, this must be something major, or whatever it was. So grasping. Amplifying. Then I thought, wait a minute. Creative engagement, body scanning. Then I look, head. Is there any pain in the head? Not. Neck? Not. Arms and hands? Not. Feet? Not. And then I thought, oh, there is pain, but just about here, which I'm kind of a little familiar with. So it went from being there and impossible to deal with nearly, unless I went to the doctor immediately, to, oh yeah, I have pain in the back, I can always take a painkiller and see what happens. So in a way, to, to see if we grasp, then there is an amplification effect. And if we creatively engage, it's like, okay, this is happening. What can I do about it? And so it's a little back to what I was saying the other day with creative awareness, that in a way, part of creative engagement can be acceptance of what's going on or can be transformation of what's going on. So to see that, for me, creative engagement has these two aspects, either acceptance, sometimes that's what works, and sometimes it's transformation inner condition, outer condition. And so to finish with, I wanted to look, because some people mentioned it, and I got some notes about emotion. And to me, this also applies to emotion. So I think what the meditation can help us to see, I mentioned it briefly before, like it's like we have certain automatism, certain habit pattern that have been developed over time from the creative functioning. And so thought become like that, planning, ruminating, etc. But I think it's a bit the same also with emotions. That's kind of emotion can have different manifestations. And often I have the feeling that we are aware of emotion when they're really intense. And I think what the meditation could help us to be more aware of is when it's light. Because it's much easier to deal with light than it is to deal with intense. So I think what is interesting is to kind of weave the mindfulness to also bring the mindfulness to our feeling life, to our emotional life. And to notice again the same. One moment, we don't feel something. We feel relatively not much here. 
So again, the, f the first thing is, where do I feel my emotional life? How, because the emotion is not floating outside. The sadness, the fear, the anger, it's not floating, waiting to jump on you. But one moment you don't have it, and next moment it's there. So of course there are conditions for that. But to notice that, that moment, I start to feel different. And that's why I think it might, sometimes it's interesting to when it's not intense, when it's relatively light, to just see, where is it I feel something? Is it like in the heart? Is it in the tummy? Once somebody said they felt it in the back of the neck, that's where they would feel the feeling, the emotion. And then to see, before I call it something, how does it feel? So in a way, looking at the first contact, because sometimes it's just a funny feeling. You just have a funny feeling. And then, of course, if we have a funny feeling, very quickly, we're looking for the meaning of it, the association with it, the interpretation of it, and then, there can be a lot of different kind of proliferation, amplification. And if it's light to just look, how does it feel? Is it weighty, agitated, shifting? And then, and also, does it change? Does it go? Back to how long does it last? Then you have the next level, which is kind of some emotion which is a little bit recurrent. So you maybe sadness, maybe anxiety, maybe fear. And again, how does it feel? How does it feel in the body to feel fear, to feel anger? Before it in a way expands, how does it feel? And me in a way, that was many years ago. It could be, I could say it was my breakthrough uh, with anger, because I had a little kind of, uh, I had time to time, a little improve, of course, with meditation, but still it was a bit there. And so I had a discussion with somebody. So, you know, it was a Buddhist discussion, so it was very low-key, you know. You said you would do it, and you did not do it, but I'll do it in the future, but you never did it before, and you know, this kind of thing, with a no raised voice. But So we could not kind of come to an agreement, and I had to start to work, because I used to cook for conferences. So off I leave the discussion, I have to kind of prepare my carrot for my, the carrot soup. So I'm cutting the carrots, and suddenly, I bring awareness to that activity, and I'm like, <laughs> I think, wait a minute, this might be a little dangerous. And then I stopped, and then I look inside the body. How does it feel to experience anger? And, he was like, <laughs> and I thought, but, I'm doing this to myself. Nobody is doing this to me. 
And it just went. And then I went into the mind. And in the mind, there was, I am right, she's wrong. I am right, she's wrong. And then I realized she must be thinking exactly the same thing in the opposite direction. And I realized we both, right and wrong. So I think in a way, if we want to understand the emotional life, in a way, we're building the power of awareness, of creative awareness, so that in a way we can just be with the emotion itself. How does it feel in the body, in the experience, before we amplify it? Because then it becomes extremely difficult to deal with it when it amplifies. Or if we look at fear, Fear, I think, anger is a creative function. Fear is a very important creative function. It helps us to be careful, to see what is dangerous. But what is interesting with fear, when we experience fear, are we experiencing fear because something is happening now? Or actually, do we have fear in the future. Once I saw this wonderful, I was kind of, sometime when I'm tired at home, I lie on the sofa and I kind of zap on the TV. And that time I was like zapping, and suddenly I fell on this film called Dinotopia. It was about dinosaurs and human being and things of that nature. But it had the best quote ever in that film about fear. So what happened is that you have the hero who is a bit kind of a bit of a weakling and with all the young people, they're training to become this great guy to vanquish whatever. And one of the exercises is to jump over a chasm. So he has a big whole cliff and they have to jump from here to there. So people do it, poof, poof, they do it. And then come our hero, he's a little like that, that's who he's like. <laughs> and then the instructor says, fear is in the future, jump now. I thought, such a good quote. <laughs> fear, how does it feel? Fear is like, oh, the problem with fear is that it kind of like heightened the whole nervous system. And we fear we have a tendency to amplify extremely fast. And I remember when I was in Korea, uh, once we decided to do a non-sleep week, so we kind of, you know, you sit all the time. And I did not mind sitting all the time. I have no problem with that. But I was afraid of, because I, I was afraid of the dark at the time. And so I was afraid to go to the bathroom at one o'clock, two o'clock, thing of that nature. And so I go to the master, I said, master, master, you know, I'm so afraid at night, you know. And he said, come back to the question. That's what I used to do. What is this? What is this? Okay. I thought the question would be like a magic talisman against the bad guys. So I would go out and, what is it, what is it, what is it? 
And then I realized it was working, but not because it was magic, but because before I used to go out at night and I used to think, there is a guy with, with a knife. He's going to get me in my heart. <gasps> and it seems so real that there was something out there because if I feel afraid, there must be something out there. But then by doing, what is it? What is it? What is this? I realized actually I was coming back to the present moment, to this experience. And in that experience, two o'clock, in the middle of the night, in the monastery, in the middle of nowhere, who was going to know me to come and get me anyway? <laughs> Nobody. A bit of self-importance there. <laughs> and it totally makes such a difference, that creative engagement We've dissolved the amplification. And there was also this lovely story from uh, this young woman who lived in South Africa. And in South Africa, you can have good reason to be afraid, definitely. And she was so afraid to go out that she would be attacked, carjacked, or whatever it was. And then she learned to do just breathing meditation. Just watching the breath, watching the breath. And that had quite an amazing effect of bringing us back to our experience, to kind of creatively engaging with the condition. So after that, whenever she needed to go out, she would just do the breathing for quite half an hour. Then it would calm her fear. And then she would be able to go out and then come back. I mean, not go too far, but good enough to go to the shop and come back. It really made a difference. And this is also something I learned when I was in South Africa, that actually fear is contagious. And that's really kind of made me look at fear in a different way. Because what I realized is when I was with somebody who was afraid, I would become afraid too. And if I was with somebody who was not afraid, then I was not afraid. And then it made me see, oh, do I want to be afraid? And then I contaminate others. So that made me kind of also look at how can I be with that experience of fear? And so the way I would look, in a way, at how meditation can help us, how what we cultivate here can help us, is that what we're doing actually is we cultivating, developing stability within our body and mind. And it's like we're cultivating, personally the way I see it is we cultivate some strengths in our kind of base, you could say, in our belly, in our seat. And so the sitting, the walking, we're building something which is not just mental. I think it's also something very physical, very physiological. So we're building this ground, this stability within us. And then 
we're going to go into life. And into life, all kinds of things happen. Something which can make me afraid, something will make me angry, something who can make us anxious or sad, something who can make us happy, joyous. And so when we experience something, it's not saying, you see, I think we have to be careful to think that meditation will stop you feeling strong emotion. I think what you will feel will be very much according to the condition. But that you amplify it or not, that will be in a little according to the power of your awareness and how you can connect to it in that moment. And personally, what I find is that, for example, let's say, if you want to test a Buddhist meditator, put them for me, now I don't do them so much anymore, but I used to have lots of them in the old day, committee meetings. Committee meetings. And I could, you know, you have a committee meeting and everything is okay. And then suddenly two people, whoops, they kind of seems to kind of, you know, get uh, opposed and they don't agree. The tone goes up and then you feel, And what I realized that, yes, it's not going to make me stop feeling, what do I do here? And feeling, you know, this is a little unpleasant. But actually, I found that if I could access what I had built in meditation, the ground, the openness, and in a way act from that, creatively engage, not from the kind of very agitated place, but yes, there is agitation, a little unpleasant, but I can go to a more stable place within me. And then from that place, I could start to creatively engage and start to think, what can I do here? How can I help these two people? How can I help them hear each other in an harmonious way, in a way where we can, in a way, understand each other, hear each other? And to me, this is to see that, in a way, what we're cultivating here is not just for ourselves. It's not just to develop peace and stability for ourselves. But if we cultivate it, develop it, then actually it can help us in our relationship, in our relationship to the world, so that we can not only be harmless, like in the ethical guideline, but that we can also help to cultivate peace, compassion, harmony. To me, that, I think, is something important, that is not just for ourselves, but really to also share it so to really creatively engage in terms of our relationship and how the meditation could help that. So, that's what I wanted to say. Are there any questions? Yeah. yeah about the visual flowers. Mm. Uh, behind you, there's some yellow flowers. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe the problem is n not having a a lot of story, your flowers, a bit of a long story about your garden. But I could look at the yellow flowers behind you and almost instantly say daffodils, and then say almost instantly, oh, it's early, isn't it? What time of year is it? And I wonder, 
did they come from a greenhouse or well, did they come from Kenya? And that happened almost immediately. And it's almost as if it starts the minute you say daffodil, like with, with the name. And I wonder whether there's a way of seeing it for what it is in itself, uh, rather than for what we have in our minds already about it, like the name. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the name takes away from what it is in itself. Yeah. No, no, this is, this is a very good point. This is a very good point. Did everybody hear? Yeah. So, no, no, this is a, a wonderful point. And this is something we can play with on a retreat. I would not recommend this normally. <laughs> but we can do this with sound, kind of try to see, can I hear a sound without naming it? Uh, we can play with seeing yellow flowers without naming it. Can I do that? Can I play with that? It's, so on a retreat, we can play with it in daily life. You know, it's good to quickly know this is daffodil and, and this is that. But it's interesting, as you say, as we, we have the perception, you have the contact, and then you have perception, which is immediately with it. And within the perception, generally you have a lot of associated commentaries, kind of quite automatic. And it's fine too. As long as we say, as it's not proliferated, you know, like, I mean, I think it's fine too to have kind of, you know, that's generally what happened with perception, meaning, association. But I think it's a degree we do, and if we do it to a great degree, then as you say, it stops us from really, in a way, enjoying the beauty of the flower now. I think to really be there for it. So we can. In a way, that is kind of a, we can play with perception sometime. It's kind of interesting to play with that. The perception, the comment, the naming, the not naming, is it possible or not? Yes. Amplification. Amplification and then leads to abstraction. I was wondering, is there a way of creatively engaged with the abstraction? Yeah, sure, 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 of course. Uh, of course. Uh, just to see, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I think it's, it's, I think it's part of the creative awareness. We, we cannot, what I'm saying is we cannot uh, not do some sort of grasping and proliferation and exaggeration. I think it's kind of, you know, part of the way the organism work. But we can do it, I would say, to what I th see us doing. I mean, sometimes uh, the, the amplification creates a lot of pain. And I think it can be useful at times to sometimes some of it can disappear. But at times, I think what happens is that the amplification is less intense and lasts less long. And I think the same with the emotion. You know, I think there is a difference between being angry for a week 
to be angry for a few seconds, fearful for two days, anxious for a few minutes. And I think it's the same. I think the first step with the grasping is actually to see, oh, I am proliferating here. Oh, I am amplifying. And then the, the thing is to see, how am I doing this? To me, what is very interesting is a storyline. And also to see that some words in the proliferation, some words are trigger words. So actually, to see you have a kind of a storyline, you have the proliferation, and then to, oh, which part of it is the one that gets me? Which, I mean, often there is some word that really kind of have, have a very strong triggering effect within the proliferation. And to me, creative engagement with the thought is also that's part of it, to creatively engage with the proliferation. I remember one of my word, trigger word, was unfair. Unfair. This is unfair. So, I mean, you know, sometimes I would say to my husband, this is unfair. And then he would say, is life fair? Like, all the time, to the same degree. Now, that's true, you know. You can't expect fairness all the time. Or once, creative engagement with proliferation. That's long ago, long ago, at the beginning of my marriage. And I don't know, for whatever reason, uh, I would sit in meditation and I would imagine, what if my husband dies? And then I would imagine all kinds of scenarios. And then after an hour of this, I would be really modeling. And my husband wrote, what's the matter with you? You know, what's going on? And I thought, what's the matter with me? Why do I keep thinking about this? Why do I keep going into this kind of like, you know, he's not dead yet, you know? What? <laughs> so then, creative engagement, I decided, okay, the next time, I am going to think about my own death. You know, because I imagine he's going to die. What about if I die? So I kind of sat there, what if I die? And there was nothing, I could not care less, you know. <laughs> and then it stopped, I don't do it anymore. So yeah, totally creative engagement with the proliferation. Of course, very important. Okay, then we might stop here. Thank you.